Hello, welcome back to Come Follow Me with Fair, Faithful Answers to New Testament Questions. My name is Jennifer Roach, and today we are going to talk about prophets. <laughs> what we do on this podcast is talk about the Come Follow Me readings that we have and consider what questions might come up for our evangelical friends or family members um, if we were talking to them about the passages in the New Testament that we are reading, our purpose here is not to um, try to get you to have debates with them and, and fuel any of that. Our purpose here is to better understand where they are coming from, why they're saying the things they're saying, and and maybe provide you an opportunity with how you might offer some of the gifts that our church has to give on these particular topics. So today we are talking about prophets. It comes up in our readings, Matthew chapter 7. Um, we get verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Evangelicals kind of love this verse. Um, it goes on to talk about good trees produce good fruit and bad trees produce bad fruit. And Latter-day Saint friends, I know all of you are at home sitting going, this is a no-brainer. There, there's no controversy here. And yet when evangelicals hear, oh, you have a prophet, that's a big problem for them. And I want to help you understand why. Aren't prophets easily identifiable when they are false? Of course. To be honest, when I was investigating the church, this was actually a hard question for me to grapple with, though. The idea of having prophets, it literally made no sense to me. These days, I can see it now how other Latter-day Saints see it. It's a blessing and it's a gift. But back then, I just felt really suspicious. So why is it so hard for evangelicals to understand the need for modern prophets? Well, I, I think there's two reasons, and we're going to talk about both of them. First, evangelicals are suspicious of this idea because they have this belief that Jesus is the last prophet. And to call anyone else who comes after him a prophet is to be really disrespectful to Christ. So where does this belief come from? Um, we would have to fast forward many, many months in our Come Follow Me readings to Hebrews chapter 1. In, in chapter one, verses one and two, we get in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in many ways. Um, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. So I know Latter-day Saint friends, <laughs> your ears have no problem with that verse. You don't hear it how they hear it. For them, this verse sounds more like, but in these last days, we will only hear from Jesus, period, full stop. And as with most scripture quagmires, a careful reading of the text, it, it's going to help us out an awful lot. Um, all they hear is Jesus is the final prophet. No more prophets can come. But that is not what the text says and not what the New Testament shows. So when we get in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. We have no disagreement here. The problem comes, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, in that they hear that Jesus is the last and greatest prophet, and him being the heir of all things means no other error is possible and they conflate error with 
profit essentially is what they're doing there. When we say we have a living prophet on the earth today, we are not saying the prophet is greater than Jesus. The Old Testament prophets pointed to a future day when God would save his people, and then Jesus came. And now modern prophets still point to Jesus. Russell M. Nelson is not pointed to himself saying, I am the new Jesus. He's pointing always back to Jesus. So evangelicals are confusing the role of Jesus as prophet with the role of Old Testament and modern day prophets. It, it, it's sort of nonsensical since they don't literally think that like Daniel or Habakkuk are in competition with Jesus, but they feel really sensitive to the idea that someone could upstage Jesus, that a modern prophet might be trying to be better than Jesus. So one way to talk with them about this is to talk about what a modern prophet does. He points us to Jesus Christ over and over and over. The second issue that comes up is evangelicals wonder why in the world would they need someone to point to Jesus? They already have a reliable source of doing that in their thinking. They see the New Testament as pointing to Jesus and we certainly wouldn't disagree with them. They see the Holy Spirit as testifying to them of Jesus. And again, no disagreement from us. Um, and they rely heavily on the concept of priesthood of all believers, meaning that they themselves, every one of them, contain all the needed gifts to hear from God, no mediator needed. We are going to talk a lot more about priesthood when we get to those verses so we're going to set that aside, that, that aside just for a bit. Um, evangelicals basically believe no leader can hear from God better than they can as individuals. Their own pastors teach this. But if an individual doesn't like what that pastor is teaching, they move to another church. They themselves, the individual they are their own prophet in a sense. And so Latter-day Saints might find it odd to say it this way, but there is a sense in which evangelicals believe that by doing this, they are emulating as closely as possible what was happening in the, in the New Testament church. They would say they are trying to boil down to the essence of the gospel and follow that as closely as they can, their understanding of that means they themselves, priesthood of all believers, they get to decide. This will sound really odd to you if you have been a lifelong Latter-day Saint, but underneath all of that for evangelicals is a desire for restoration. They can easily look around in the evangelical world, sometimes in their own individual churches, and see that the, the project is in trouble in a lot of ways. And they long for God to reach down and set some things straight. Does that sound familiar to you? Um, their belief that to do this, it should be an individual, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and nobody else. That is the authority. That is where authority is located. Each one of them is a, a prophet 
unto themselves in that sense. What's fascinating to talk to them about is this desire for restoration. When they are in a church, they listen to their pastor. They don't like what their pastor is saying. They move on to another church. Underneath that, they are saying, there's something wrong in this particular church. I need a more restored church. I need a a church that's going to teach better, closer to the Bible. That's what they're looking for. We talk about it in really, really different ways than they do, what it means to have a restoration, but the longing is the same. They Evangelical churches sometimes talk about how they are just trying to contextualize what's in the Bible for today's world. Um, many of them will say that they think they are living a kind of restoration. They are trying to restore the truth of the gospel. So I want to talk a little bit more about that in a way that you might actually already be somewhat familiar with. But first, we got we to gotta geek out for a minute. And we are going to rely on Dr. Roseanne Benson to geek out a tiny bit. She taught in the ancient scripture department at BYU. I think currently she's at Southern Illinois University many writings and books and essays. Um, the book I'm going to reference here is called Alexander Campbell and Joseph Smith, 19th century restorations, or restorationists. And it, and it's a book worth reading. I'm going to summarize it for you. And we're going to see what it has to do with evangelicals. <laughs> First, my apologies to Dr. Benson for this simplistic summary of her work. Her work is layered and deep and beautiful, and you should read it. Um, and I cringe at the way I'm about to summarize it for you, but I got about two minutes for this part. So summarize it, I will. So the year is 1830 and Parley P. Pratt, Triple P, he has been corresponding with his friend, Sidney Rigdon. And you know from church history that Rigdon is a Campbellite preacher at this time. So Triple P and the other missionaries set out on a mission. They stopped by um, Kirtland, Ohio, where Sydney and the other Campbellites are, are living and meeting. And the missionaries convert Sydney Regnan and about a hundred other people, including a brother and sister, Lorenzo Snow and Eliza R. Snow. Lorenzo goes on to become the fifth president of the church. Eliza R. Snow, hard to name a more influential um, woman in the first generation of church converts, right? So these, they get this whole converts out of the Campbellite movement. And, and you got to ask why. Dr. Benson does an amazing job of just detailing out every detail of this. I'm going to tell you what's important for our context. You already know the story the story, right? We get that from, from basic church history. But what you might not understand is the Campbellite movement is kind of similar to what the evangelicals are doing today. The evangelicals of today are not necessarily direct descendants from the Campbellites. Sometimes they are, and sometimes they aren't. We haven't really defined even what an evangelical is. But in this sense, they're, they're doing what the early Campbellites were doing, which is this. The Campbellites considered themselves a restorationist movement. When, when the early members of our church say we have a restored church, the Campbellites would have said, oh, we're working on a restored church as well, right? And, and, and I get it. Like, it's easy to sit back and say, well, gosh, they were wrong about a lot of things. 
and and sure, but but I want to look at the two different approaches to what they were doing, not the specifics, right? That the philosophies of how to restore a church. So the Campbellites believed that at that time they believed in order to restore the Lord's church, what they really needed to do was pare down the essence of the gospel and remove everything that wasn't essential. They wanted to strip away everything that wasn't the basics. They wanted to to clear things to the side that didn't support the goal of restoring the very essence of the gospel. It's like, if we could get it down to these two or three things and really, really practice those well, we will have a restored church. They were trying, they were trying to take the very essence of what the Bible teaches, contextualize it into their day in a way that did not bring in the errors that they could look around at the other churches and see had crept in over the centuries. They saw the need for a restoration you, you can kind of see the logic of what they're doing, right? There, there's some good in that. So what happened, Triple P, part of the P. Pratt, he and Signe Rigdon meet up in person. And they have a, a series of conversations where, where Parley is able to agree with him about the need for a restoration. But he explains what Joseph Smith is teaching is an entirely different philosophy to what restoration is. He he ain't trying to just like pare it down to two or three things. And if we can get those right, we've got everything right. Joseph wants to restore everything, every, every, everything. He didn't want to push anything to the side. He wanted to open everything up to, to he wanted to restore it all. The once Rigdon and the other converts understand once they grasp the differences between the two philosophies, they convert fast, right? The Sidney Rignan, the Snow family, a hundred other people, they say, we want, we see the need for restoration. We thought it was, should, should be done this way. And now we see what you're doing and it's amazing, right? So, so that's what happens in that, in that story. Back to our evangelical friends of today. They already know things need to be restored. <laughs> My day job is mental health therapist. So this is where mental health therapist is going to come out in me. Your evangelical friends might not trust you enough to admit to you that they understand error has crept in and that there is a need for restoration. They might understand it. Churches outside of their own church, them, the, the, them, the out group, um, if they don't yet trust you, they might not be willing to be vulnerable enough to say, eh, from time to time, I can see some things in my own church that I I, I kind of don't think are the gospel. Um, if they don't trust you enough to, to say that to you, that's okay. M maybe you need to spend some time getting some relational collateral with them so that they can trust you, to prove yourself to be a trustworthy person to them. Um, maybe they might get to, to a place where they could admit that to you. Most evangelical churches, what they're doing is they're talking about, they don't use the word restoration all the time, but they're talking about that as this paring down. The typical evangelical church on your corner, uh, the corner uh, somewhere in your town, if they're going to tell their origin story, it probably sounds like this. Um, young pastor and his wife move into town. 
They start a Bible study in their living room with two or three other couples. Pretty soon it starts getting bigger. Pretty soon they have to rent a space. And then five years later, it's grown into this church of 5,000 people, right? But it all started because we sat around together and just opened our Bibles and just wanted to see where the spirit led us. That is the origin story of most evangelical churches or something really, really close to it. You can hear in that story, we just wanted to get down to the basics and just really see what God wanted us to do. And and there's honor in that, right? Like we don't, I don't judge them for that. That's a beautiful desire. They're doing the best they can. However, um, it could be a really interesting conversation if you could get to the place of talking to them about there actually is a need for a restoration, why did your evangelical church need to get started in the first place? Because some things were going on and somebody saw a need for something different. That's what restoration is, right? And and does restoration best happen through this complete paring down, just me and, and my Bible on my lap and the Holy Spirit? Or is restoration everything? And, 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 and Joseph wants to restore it everything that God had revealed in the scriptures. The, the individual who can, can sit alone with their Bible and that's that paring down is enough for them. They are not automatically going to see the need for a prophet, right? But if we can talk about restoring things, um, this is one of them. They're not left alone, just them and their Bible and the Holy Spirit you're a priesthood of all believers. You're your own prophet. You figure it out. That's kind of the flip side of it. It's kind of the downside is you, the, the evangelicals really, really left alone in you got to figure this out. In our church, we have a prophet who continually points us back to Jesus Christ and the path to stay on to return to heavenly father. Um, and then that's needed in our lives. So the beginning of this video, I told you, I started out skeptical of the, of the need for a prophet. I want to tell you the story of how it happened that I gained a testimony of, of why we need a prophet. So three and a half years ago, I was still taking lessons from the missionaries. If you, if you haven't heard my conversion story, it's a fun one. I'll link it um, in the description it, there's a version of it on the fair website that's really good, but 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 warning, it does contain some difficult themes. It's probably not great to listen to if you got small kids around, um, teenagers and up, it would be fine. But but may, maybe not for small ears. Um, so I was taking lessons from the missionaries. Honestly, I was struggling with the idea of a prophet. I have seen in my life the very worst of what can happen. Um, when somebody in the church has a lot of power and how that can get misused. And especially during the time period where I was taking lessons from the missionaries, I was in, in the middle of, of grappling with all of that. You listen to the story, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, and I was skeptical that a single man, a, a single entity could be trusted. Um, so one day the missionaries call me up and they say, Hey, um, Russell M. Nelson, the prophet is coming to Seattle and, and we got a ticket for you. So honestly, at the time, 
I didn't know that this was an unusual thing. I just thought, well, gosh, maybe the prophet just drops by from time to time. Um, and, and it's time, it's summer, it's time for that. So I didn't know. Um, but it turned out to be a really special event. They held it at Safeco Field where the Mariners play baseball. I think it's called, it's called something else now. It was Safeco Field then. Um, it's beautiful summer evening, 50,000 people in attendance. Everyone is there early to get a seat. They, they want to be able to hear and listen to the prophet. Um, and it was great, just like you would imagine. Um, but it, there wasn't anything in his talk or anything in the evening's program that changed my mind. What helped me was that when I arrived, it, I probably got there a half hour before the event was to begin. And I, and I sat with some friends from my ward. And while we were waiting, everybody around us was talking about their prophet and and what they mean what they mean by that i think is like the prophet that was really influential in their life maybe the one who was prophet when they were young um that they just sort of grew up listening to and people had these incredible stories of god's faithfulness being shown to them through a prophet and to be to be honest like i don't think my skeptical nature on this topic but I don't think the program that night alone would have broken through to get me to trust this concept. Um, that it, he's a man I'd never met, probably never will meet, right? An oppressive speaker. I probably would have kept a lot of my doubts in my heart. But I sat with my friends and I listened to them talk about their testimonies of a prophet and it was compelling. I was converted to the idea of prophets that night, not, not by President Nelson or his words, impressive though he was, but by the testimonies of my friends. So I just encourage you, um, we do live in a church where we have the blessings of God restoring all things, but your evangelical friends, if they're honest, they see the need for things to be restored, for God to reach down and fix some things. We just view it as everything. God's going to restore everything. And maybe they view it a little bit differently, but that could be an interesting conversation for you to have. If you have a question from your evangelical friends that they've asked you something you would like to get some insight on, please email me, jennifer at fairlatterdaysaints.com. I got an email this week from the sister missionaries in the Houston, Texas mission. So shout out to Sister Cox and her companions. They had some great questions. We'll be addressing those on an upcoming episode, and I'm looking forward to that, and I will see all of you next time.